Hi, and welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. Uh, And this episode really just uh, reminded me in a very powerful way why I love hosting a podcast. It's a big opportunity for my own personal growth and learning. And it is also just so amazing and, and so meaningful to set aside some time and space for educators to share. Um, I, I often think we don't do enough to value the expertise that educators have. And this episode, um, I hope you will also find, just has so many sort of aha moments of insight and and kind of shares the power of what comes when we get together we share, we think together, we question, um, and uh, we just enjoy the power of a collaborative Zoom room, if you will. Enjoy. Uh, hi, I'm Emily Meadows, pronouns she, her. I'm an LGBTQ consultant for international schools. So I work with schools all around the world to make uh, policies and practices more inclusive of LGBTQ people. Uh, I also teach for the George Washington University graduate program in LGBT health policy and practice, and I'm currently situated in the Netherlands. Uh, My name is Justin, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm the building coordinator at uh, Chiang Mai International School in Northern Thailand. Hi, my name is Christina Pinel-Gutza, my pronouns are she and her. I currently work at Berlin Brandenburg International School as the head of drama and I also teach English language and literature. My name is Shannon Leone. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm currently a high school counselor at International School Bangkok. And I also run our schools, our high schools, GSA and an LGBTQ conversation support group in the high school. So listeners, if you're wondering, like, how did this incredible group of uh, superhero Avengers use your superhero metaphor that's applicable, uh, how did they all come to be in the same Zoom room right now? Uh, We wanted to chat about affinity groups, and we'll dig into why that's a great topic for this specific collection of people. Uh, And before we kind of get into into that, we're actually going to start, for those of you who are listening who maybe are unfamiliar or have never had the joy of being a part of an affinity group, we're going to dig into sort of the what it is, what it isn't, what it might be. Um, And I did ask our our amazing panel of guests today to give a little bit of um, thought to that in advance. So uh, hopefully... And I love doing that because I feel like it, it uh, avoids the bandwagon effect where Christina says something brilliant and then everybody just jumps on and agrees with her. Uh, because in my experience, affinity groups have felt, looked, been organized slightly differently. So uh, I think like everything we discuss on the show, it's great to lean into the idea that there doesn't have to be a recipe uh, for anything. But maybe out of this conversation, we'll find out okay, there's not a core recipe, uh, but there are perhaps a few core values that you want to make sure are appreciated when it comes to affinity groups. Uh, So panel, I'll I'll turn it over to you. Um, Again, who's up first to share sort of their thinking around an affinity group, what it is, what it isn't, what it might, could, what I want it to be. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this because I've been I went from not having been a part of, a, of, a, of an affinity group to having to being a part of several um, within a short period of time. And 
for me, it's like a, a, a group of similarly identifying or a group with like a shared identity, whether that be like a personal identity or maybe a professional identity that um, come together to share a space, um, these days a virtual space. Um, so that's kind of when I was, I was lingering on that question over the past few days. And that's kind of what I came, came up with. Um, I'd like to chime in. I've also been thinking about this because similar to Justin, I found myself in several affinity groups or starting affinity groups in different spaces that I'm in. And I, I also feel that one of the purposes that I've found is that it's trying to provide a space for community, perhaps in areas where there isn't one for folks that's available. So um, for a lot of folks, these groups can be safer spaces that maybe they're not able to access for a variety of reasons. And I also think that in some affinity groups, they can also be places for um, leadership and culture to thrive and people to share resources and ideas and things like that. But I think they can kind of shift and change depending on who's in the affinity group and what they need it to be as well. Agreed um, with all of that. And I'll add one more element, um, which has to do with sort of building off what Shannon said, depending on what the group needs and depending on the purpose of the group. So um, the four of us work together to co-facilitate the LGBTQ um, International Educators Affinity Group. Um, I also co-facilitate an affinity group for uh, whiteness accountability amongst international educators. And the purpose of that group is really different um, because as white people, we do not, um, we are, as white people in international education, we often do find ourselves in spaces where there are, we are surrounded by white people. So it's not that we don't have the opportunity to be amongst white people, but to um, come together with a focus on our whiteness and the role that it plays in international education and how we want to hold ourselves and others accountable, which is just, it, it's another type of a purpose for an affinity group, which is very, very different from what we do in our LGBTQ international educators group, which is um, definitely more on the fun side. <laughs> yeah, and I think it really depends on the affinity group um, as to how it kind of is formed and what it is not, because I think for us as the LGBTQ plus international school educators um, affinity group, we're very fluid. Whereas I think what Emily is talking about, that has to be a lot more structured, um, that whiteness accountability group. And so for us right now, we're kind of just finding our feet and um, we have a lot of space and flexibility to change and, and move with how the group is kind of starting up. With that, you know, as you were each talking, I'm realizing, of course, you know, you've kind of co-constructed this affinity group and professionally you're doing different things in your, in your schools and in your communities. And I'm actually wondering, you know, I don't know if that was intentional if that happened by design of let's have, you know, different folks who do different things in schools kind of come together uh, to begin to shape what this affinity group might be, or maybe again, that was just sort of a, a lucky element to the design, but I'm wondering if you'd want to chat a little bit about how that's really useful within your group. I'm making a big assumption here that it is, um, you know, that again, having, having 
people that wear different hats just brings in that different perspective. Uh, so do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about how you each kind of bring a unique perspective to the group or tell me, no, Tricia, that's not, that's not right. I think what came to mind for me was the intersectionality and the need for um, like queer spaces across, like in, in our case, teaching, but across all facets of teaching. So I'm like, an, I'm um, specifically an English language teacher and there's a lot of um, not, there's a lot of intersectionality and even research with about the intersectionality between language learning and queer identity, right? And some of us are classroom teachers, consultants, administrators, um, and, and counseling, right? And it just shows, um, I think, the need to have this space and this conversation, um, and that it's it's really it's really there for for everybody. I think something that came up for me as well is. Um, I like what you said, Justin, about intersectionality, because I think that's a big part of this. And I've been noticing that a lot because in my role as a counselor, I've, I've noticed that um, I'm craving spaces where I can, where I can, I can feel the sense of community. And we have this fabulous group, which has meant a lot in terms of feeling that sense of community. And for counselors, there isn't anything specifically yet that's like this. So I feel like this is serving one purpose for me, but then the other side, which is largely related to my day-to-day -day job, um, doesn't yet exist. So I think I, I really feel like that's the value of this sort of group that we can all come together and um, come into alignment on a lot of shared values and you know what we want to kind of get out of this group. But yeah, I, I think what's great for me is that I just hear so many different perspectives from people who are in different roles and and working in different parts of the world, and it's it's just it's wonderful. I'm, I'm so grateful this space exists. Yeah, I want to touch on what you just said, Shannon, because, you know, I'm very fortunate to live and work in Berlin. And my perspective is very different to perspectives of staff who are working, you know, in other places around the world where it's very challenging to be out and honest about, you know, your identities. You know, it's easy to be invisible. Um, but for us, you know, in Berlin, we have quite a few queer folks um, in our school, but even having those queer folks in our school means that, you know, we don't necessarily get to hear from people internationally who are struggling. And so coming together and just recognizing that and realizing that, you know, what we're going through in Berlin is very different to what folks are going through in different places around the world is, is really eye-opening and really allows us to because I guess in our in the queer affinity group that we've kind of we've discussed topics around um you know how do we embed LGBTQ plus literature in our curriculum or how do we embed issues into our curriculum and just hearing from different folks around the world it's really interesting because I guess I've been very um I've worked from a very colonized kind of perspective. So, you know, hearing from other people, I'm like, wow, I still have so much to learn. And so I'm getting a lot out of this space. And um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Christina, you know, I, I think a part of that too, uh, you know, is, is folks coming into a group truly wanting to learn, but the older I get um, and the more involved with professional development I am, the more I realize, you know, <sighs> 
having a learning space where the power dynamics are not the key thing really matters. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's it's just been maybe the last few years that I've been thinking and engaging others and just a more open and honest conversation about how power shows up at schools, um, how people understand things almost without them being even communicated in terms of who gets the final say, which topics are permissible here, how do we know? Um, and I do think there's a lot of use in just when there is a conversation, not necessarily an affinity group, where that power piece is going to kind of shape the tone, talking about it, questioning it a little bit. Um, but affinity groups are sort of known for, you know, not being necessarily this hierarchical structure. Uh, and I'm wondering if if folks would just sort of share a little bit about that collaboration piece, because I still think for so many of us in education, the notion of having a conversation where power is not sort of... Um, the elephant in the room, so to speak. It's a really radical idea. I think that that mean that really means a lot because I think this sort of idea of like hierarchy um, is sort of an is an element of colonialism and white supremacy, right? Like having this established top down model, whereas with an affinity group. We, and in the affinity groups that I've been a part of, everybody's voices are heard. Everybody's strengths are celebrated and highlighted. And no one like, tries to pretend or show to, to, to know everything. Um, there's a, affinity groups that I've been a part of in Chiang Mai to organize within the community. And there is no like go-to person. Um, we just all work together on things that we're passionate about and um, that's within like our skill sets to, that, that we can utilize. And then we come together as a group to, you know, share ideas and work with one another. Um, I may not be explaining it very um, precisely, but uh, it's, a, it's, it's a very freeing shift in mindset because um it is more collaborative um and it's a lot less pressure than having like this you know top-down model of communication and organizing it's so true and because the participation in the group is entirely voluntary it's just it's a welcome open space but no one's taking attendance or anything like that and people can come once or come every time it's it's up to the participants um so that also is a huge power shift in terms of learning um on one's own time and according to one's own priorities but then yes in the group we share kind of all the responsibilities we take turns sort of hosting and take turns, you know, coming up with discussion questions. And um, so it is very collaborative from that sense. And then we also sort of try to decenter ourselves in terms of the, the actual time together. So a lot of it is based on just discussion amongst the participants, not sort of us leading. We call ourselves facilitators, but we're not sort of like leaders of anything. <laughs> we're just um, creating a space for, for others to join us. 
And I think that's so important. Like there's no competition here. We're all coming together to share our experiences. And so that power play just isn't there because we just want to share and hold space with one another, which is, um, you know, in my mind, what an affinity group really is and how that plays out over the long term um, will obviously vary. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting about this idea of power is that I've been thinking about in the context of my school that we had, we tried to start an affinity group last year. We had one meeting. It was uh, quite chaotic to schedule. Um, a lot of people kind of wanted the leader. They wanted one point person and no one was really willing to step up, which I thought was okay. But I think our school needs one. We need a queer affinity group or an LGBTQ plus affinity group. And I'm realizing that's going to be myself and somebody else who will have to start it because no one else is um, willing for a variety of reasons to start one. But I don't like how it feels like it already seems like I'm the leader of it and I don't like the way that feels. So I think that it's also an interesting thing to be starting one. And I know that part of my role will be figuring out how do I make this more equal and equitable for everybody and share responsibilities. So because that's a big part of it. Like you said, I think it was Christina, you said that we're not competitive. And I love that because so many of us are in spaces where we unfortunately feel that, you know, and for a variety of reasons. So stay tuned. We'll see how this goes with starting one at my school, but I'm hopeful that we can get to a space where it feels more like this, where it feels more um, that there's a group running it, but it's tough. Uh, you know, and it's interesting too, I, I think anybody who would be listening who's not inside of education would think that notion of competition in schools might be odd, but for anybody who's been inside of it, you know, again, I think this taps into Justin, what you were saying earlier about white supremacy culture, this notion of being the perfect educator, right? Um, uh, of, of doing all the things, uh, uh, thinking that it seems as though the pandemic is starting to shift that, that there is a little bit more momentum in saying, A, being perfect is impossible, B, it's not sustainable, and C, well-being does actually really matter. It feels like, you know, even speaking personally, it's like, no, 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 really, really, really now you have to mean it. Um, and I'm wondering if anybody wants to talk about, you know, I, I just find affinity groups can be a big part of that, of just sustaining not just well-being, but joy. Um, and I know, especially within our community, where often at schools, the onus is most often on us to you know, be starting the conversation, to be keeping the conversation going. Sometimes, uh, you know, I've even been in that situation where uh, there's, you know, an issue of queer phobia. Trisha, you're queer. You go do something about it. Um, you know, again, this unfortunately, I think, is still a major concern in schools where that emotional labor and just that literal labor is being dropped on our shoulders. So I'm wondering if you want to comment a little bit on, you know, affinity group as healing because we talk all the time about, you know, bring your whole self to school. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's actually, it's national coming out day today. Um, and I, you know, I take issue with that because it's sort of the, it's 2021. Can we talk about why that is, you know, still very difficult for so many people um, all over the world? And um, that was a little bit of a rambling question, but uh, just the notion of affinity group as something that, um, I don't know, maybe recharges your, your batteries. If anybody wants to speak to that. I'm going to kind of come at this 
in like a backwards fashion um, because I tried to start an affinity group for students last year, a BIPOC affinity group. And it worked out pretty well to begin with. It was a really great space for students to heal after the murder of George Floyd. And then I went on maternity leave and I tried to come back and started again and it died this year. And I think the reason for that is because people on the outside who were not invited into the affinity space didn't recognize that the affinity space was supposed to be a healing space. It was supposed to be a space where, you know, students of color could come and not have to hide and not have to, um, I guess, change who they were um, to fit into that, you know, generally white dominated society and the dominant culture. And when I think about our LGBTQ plus affinity group, I look forward to it so much because we also are not really tied down to one school and all of the staff that are at that school. I feel like because it's international and it's online, it's so freeing. I don't have to explain what an affinity group is over and over and over again to people who still don't get it. And so having the space online and being international, it's amazing because I just, I just can just come and show up and be my authentic self. And I really want people to recognize how amazing it is for those people who, you know, like us, who have to walk around in a very heteronormative society every single day. You know, this is the one hour we get once a month where we can just be. I really like what you said, though, Christina, about just like coming and just being yourself and I know and like that's a part of I think the healing for this um, LGBTQ affinity group and um, a BIPOC affinity group that I joined the other day and I know I can just share and the the folks who are within the group just get it and I don't have to explain. I don't have to go through the mental gymnastics of answering the same questions over and over and over again. For the LGBTQ affinity group, I don't have to like explain like pronoun use in class. Like it's just, we're, we're yeah, it's, um, it's liberating to have that space and there's really not, um, I think systems, school systems, international school systems are not designed for people like us to have that space. And I think that that, of course, needs to change. And this um, the fact that we in this in this particular LGBTQ plus affinity group, we come from so many different countries, um, schools and backgrounds, it's a space for us to connect with one another. And that even happened in the last affinity group I was in, two, two folks ended up working in this, within the same school sort of system. And then that's a connection. And that one person is gonna help out the other person with something they're sure. So it's just like, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this space, 
right? So it's just an opportunity for us um, to process and to heal, but also to, I think, organize and work towards making change within international school communities. It's so true, Justin. And I think, you know, tying in what you and Christina both said around like just being able to be and not having to explain, I think that that marginalized identities in international schools can be particularly isolated because we don't have sort of the, the groups we grew up with. And so we are strangers in a new land when we arrive. And so finding um, connection can be hard and having people know you and see you fully um, takes time no matter where you are, no matter who you are, but it can be especially isolating for like queer people, for example. So I think that's why the international education theme to the group, it's not that we wanna exclude like local educators, but that idea of being international um, as a queer person is pretty unique. And then the nice part too about it is that, you know, because we're across countries and across schools, it doesn't bring in the politics of work. You know, what we can talk about our work, we could talk about international education, but we can leave behind the daily ins and outs of our individual sort of <laughs> what's going on on campus struggles. Um, so you have the context, but without the sort of personal details, there's a little bit more anonymity if you want. But, you know, and again, I think that that point, Emily and Justin, that you both made about being able to say things that perhaps, you know, we know would actually create some drama for us if we said them inside of our school, which, um, you know, and, and working with schools in the U.S. and Canada now, as well as overseas, that heteronormativity piece is not unique. Um, you know, that is a very, very common factor. And, you know, I even feel if I've been brought, if I've been brought in as a consultant, this is different, right? People are saying we have some learning and a learning to do great, but there's the other piece, uh, Justin, that you kind of tapped on of, you know, some of the questions that really, you know, this was a comment or a questions that's, it's kind of decades old. Google's right there. You can look this up, you know, uh, you know, to a certain extent, it is kind of the we should be getting to a place where we know a little bit better than to say certain things. You know, I, I do kind of, I, I believe very strongly that shame is never a good tactic. We don't learn by being shamed, but I am wondering if we're ever going to kind of draw that line in the sand and say comments that are queer phobic that, you know, we pass off as jokes. When is it just going to be a much clearer? Absolutely not. Especially if you're in education, that's, that's not okay. Um, and I, I kind of wonder, as you're thinking of the year ahead, if there are certain topics, um, you know, that might sort of be a, you know, you, you might have gotten a sense that that's, that's one that's on my mind. It's a conversation that it's sort of like rough draft thinking. I would love to talk more about eventually. It's, it's not there yet, like it's on the back burner in my brain. But I'm wondering if you have any other topics that are on your brain's back burners that you're thinking um, eventually, it would be great if the affinity group explored this, uh, or it's a question or a resource that um, 
you're just sort of excited. I feel like my example wasn't one that like, oh, I'm so excited to talk about this in community. But um, again, if if that resonates with anybody where it's the, I just would love to know what others um, in our affinity group have experienced or are thinking or questioning. I think one thing that comes to mind um, is actually quite surprising. This is the first thing that comes up, but I think because for so many of us, this can be quite heavy work in a lot of ways. You have the, you know, the burden that's placed on a lot of us for being sometimes the only queer people in our schools, et cetera. I really love the idea of talking more about joyful things, like even silly things. Like one of my favorite topics is queer pop culture and media. Trisha, you know this, we share this. So I think something like that, like just what are we, what brings us happiness these days? What are we all about? What, you know, sharing in that, because I think there is oftentimes a shared language and a shared understanding that we have to often either code switch or people don't always understand. So I think for me, I think something a little bit lighter, like that would be really fun. And I think it would be a really nice opportunity to just share that with each other to learn new things. So agree with that. And actually I was thinking, Trisha, as you were asking your question, like we've had some groups where we did talk a little bit about um, like our most recent one, wait, did we just do this? Are we coming up on this decolonizing the curriculum like through a queer lens? We just did, okay. <laughs> Can't remember if I'm thinking of the planning or the actual discussion. Um, so like where it gets a little bit more academic and where it's um, getting a bit more, you know, I don't know, serious, but also I, I, I would say more than that, we do kind of just have fun. <laughs> I think more than we get into those types of topics, it's not, I don't think we're a group that came together with like a mission to necessarily make change. Um, of course, that all of us would like to see that. And that is certainly on the table. But the space is more a space to be. Um, and if those topics come up, we we follow them. But we're not sort of, it's not about the work during this particular time. This is a restoration and repair and healing and just validating space. Um, if we want to get some work done, we can, but it is by no means like the main purpose. <laughs> and so I, I, that sounds probably a little bit funny, but um, I think all of us are doing that work in our profession. Uh, all of us are doing that in our, you know, in, in our day jobs. And then this is just different. It's more about like sharing and sharing and community. Yeah. And off of what you've just said, Emily I, and Shannon, um, you know, I would love for us in a post COVID or like a new living with COVID kind of world, be able to have a retreat where, you know, international school queer educators can come around, uh, come to like one place around the world and then just like enjoy being by the beach perhaps and, you know, sipping cocktails and enjoying life and just being with one another. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? This is the dream we've been talking about. And all of our faces right now, you can't see because this is an <laughs> audio medium, but we're all like grinning and like looking off into the clouds. <laughs> like, oh, I legit got teary eyed a little bit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just like it. sitting on a beach. It's just like a cocktail. <laughs> I know. Oh, Look at me. That's I'm surrounded by queerness. And I love that. <laughs> I love it too. Mm. And it's going to happen. We're going to do it. 
Well, and listeners, if you have a suggestion for what it should be called, because um, my mind was like queer associates, queer coasts, like, you know, which URL do we need to go and make sure we can have access to? Um, I would love to, I would love to get suggestions around that. Uh, Justin, Emily, Christina, Shannon, thank you so much. Uh, just as we wrap up, um, you know, again, we were talking about the role of joy in affinity groups, uh, and we were just kind of having like a, a joyful moment. And I'm wondering if you might each share, uh, Shannon, absolutely. I, I love talking about queer culture and, you know, again, it, it dawns on me again, that those are conversations that if your school's really heteronormative, you might not be hearing, you know, folks talk about things that come from our community, which I think is, is a real loss for them because queer content isn't only for us. Um, it, it is about the broad spectrum of humanity that's always existed. Um, so I'm wondering if you have a, a book, a show, a song, an album, um, any kind of artifact that it's sort of like, this is bringing me joy uh, and other people, it might bring you some joy to any recommendations. Um, I am, I just started reading um, oh. Queer Artists of Color, Volume 2. Um, oh, Queer and Trans Artists of Color. And there's like three volumes, and I'm on Volume 2, and it's just a series of interviews um, of queer and trans artists of color and how they just create the most incredible pieces of art and like how they create art. And it's really, really, really joyful. Cause it's just interview, like transcribed interviews. So people are just talking from the heart. And whenever I read, whenever I pick up this book and read one of the stories, it just brings me, it just makes me smile because it's just, you're just reading about people who are so passionate about what, about what they do um, and how they express themselves. And I would really recommend it to, to anybody, yeah. I have so many, but I will choose the top two. One is um, the L Word, Generation Q, quite invested in this show for a variety of reasons. Fabulous show, highly recommend. I think I'm just starved for queer representation, especially lesbian storylines, queer women storylines, all of that. And I've also been crying a lot to pose season three on Netflix. So also would recommend that. It's a wonderful show. Really, really fantastic in terms of trans and non-binary and queer representation, all of that. Okay, I do love TV, but I rarely make time for it. So I don't have any good TV recommendations. I would definitely trust Shannon on this one. Um, but I uh, listen to music when I run. And so I have been training. I am training for a marathon in two weeks. Gosh, week and a half. Um, and so I need music to keep me going. And I will tell you the thing that gets me through those last hard miles is Lil Nas X Montero. <laughs> Love that whole album. It is just a masterpiece. And if you're looking for something to work out to and just like get your happy, like good vibes going, um, it is, it is a fantastic album. So that's my recommendation for today. <laughs> yeah. And just finally, I mean, I'm going to go with the music theme as well. I really love Mary Lambert and, you know, any of the music she puts out is 
a journey as well. Very different kind of journey to Lil Nas X, but um, definitely a journey. No, Monet too. It's been my, she's been my workout jam for the past few weeks. And I, all of her music makes me just smile. Who did you say, Justin? Janelle Monet. Janelle Monet, yes, for sure. Yes. Totally. And as well, I feel like her music videos are just like a treasure, you know, truly, truly joyful. Um, working out for me on this side of 40 has begun to look differently. So it's like a walk with a slight bit of effort is what's going on here. So I've really been enjoying the new Brandy Carlisle album. Um, she's just a poet, uh, but definitely I don't think you'd be running to it. It's sort of walking with uh, calculated effort is is what I would call it. Uh, and I'm, I'm also just gonna give a shout out to the WNBA finals are happening this week. That is a league that has used their platform for social justice for a very long time now. Um, and I just, you know, again, uh, if folks can't be watching the games in real time, at least be following it if you're on social media. Um, I think it's great to to boost that league. Um, you know, I was looking at at Twitter yesterday. Of course, Sunday in uh, in North America is a big sports day, but it was interesting to me that the WA, WNBA finals were happening. And if you scroll through the sports menu on Twitter, not a single mention of it. Um, and I just, uh, again, I, I kind of think. It's great for for us to sometimes give a little bit of a, a signal boost to those incredible athletes who, um, you know, kind of risked financial income to make sure that they were still saying what what needed to be said. So, Justin, Emily, Christina, Shannon, thank you so much. Um, I, I appreciate the work that you are doing so much. Your affinity group is a joyful place, uh, and and we're just lucky that you know, in, in terms of talking about social media. I will make sure to, unless you tell me not to, link to your Twitter handles because these four educators are constantly sharing um, just provocations to keep the conversation alive and well and to keep us inspired. So I thank all four of you for that, you know, deeply from, from the bottom of my this side of 40 heart. Thank you, Trisha. And we, we also want to welcome any queer international educators are always welcome to join the space. It's not... Uh... It's not sort of a set group of people. You can come and check us out and, and join us for the for the fun and the community. So um, yeah, all are welcome. The next one is in two weeks, 25th of October. Great. And, and so again, that's another great reason if you are on Twitter to be following these four folks so that you can uh, keep up with the posting. Correct me if this is wrong, but I believe it's once a month um, is the is the idea to get together. All right. Thanks again, folks. Thank you, Tricia. Thanks. Thank you.